So uh, this morning you might like to take out your Bibles. We're going to be heading to uh, Romans chapter 6 this morning. I'll pray as you make your way to Romans 6. Father, thank you for the blessing of your word. Thank you just uh, for giving us your words of life, of truth, of hope. And uh, I just thank you, Lord, that your word is, is alive and well. It's living and active, Lord God. And I pray this morning as we come to your word, we would come with humility, with teachability, that you would open up our hearts, Lord, to hear what you would say to us this morning, I pray. Lord, let the, um, let the seed sown fall on good soil, I pray, and let it yield a harvest for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder how many of us here have ever done one of those spot the difference kind of, maybe in an activity book or a kid's book, you know, where you have two pictures side by side and it's like you've got to spot the difference and look and see what what has changed. Maybe it's a competition on a wheat bix packet or something. Well, recently I was chatting with one of my brothers-in-law and we were just having a great chat about work and life and family and faith. And one of the things that we touched on was about how so often, you can, uh, or it should be the case anyway, that, that when you kind of see or, or come to, to know a, a person who follows the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's a, there's a difference about that. You know, like even if you don't know necessarily they're a Christian, it's like, oh, there's just something about them. You know, you know what I mean? And so I believe that there should be a difference in our lives, right, as followers of Jesus. Jesus makes the difference. And because of the difference that grace has made in our lives, because of the difference that the cross has made, uh, this radical teaching that Paul has been given throughout, uh, giving throughout Romans of it's by grace that you've been saved, not through works of the law, not through all this effort working up something in our own strength, but by grace, because of this difference that grace has made, it, it kind of had led to some questions or opposition or controversies, I guess, that Paul has been trying to address uh, in this particular chapter in Romans. And so last week, uh, the question in verse 1 of chapter 6 was, well, if grace abounds where sin abounds, why don't we just kind of sin so that grace continues to, continues to abound? Because grace is so good and we should just... And Paul, of course, addresses that particular uh, question or opposition. And then this week, we'll be looking at unpacking this question. Well, if we're no longer under law, aren't we free to live however we want? And I want to unpack that a little bit today because the difference that grace has made means there is a new lordship or a new master for us as Christians. And it's not or it shouldn't be sin. It's not or it shouldn't be the law. And Paul paints a couple of pictures for us to grab hold of as he argues against the notion of, no, we shouldn't keep on sinning and living as we please because of grace. So let's read together from verse 15 of Romans chapter 6. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart 
to the standard of teaching which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the truth that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise the Lord for that. (laughs) Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Plenty in there for us to take in and and unpack. But the context here is that Paul has been unpacking this glorious reality of grace, how it's a, it's a gift that's been given so generously to us by God. It's, it's not a matter of trying to attain our salvation, trying to attain right standing with God by merely ticking a bunch of boxes, jumping through a whole lot of hoops, seeking our salvation that way. And so we've been looking these last few weeks and unpacking this place called Grace. And how this place called grace looks like something in our lives. And it leads to something in our lives. And Andrew last week looked at how this place called grace leads us to to having new love and new passions, which of course leads us to holiness. And so in verse 14, before he's launched into this passage we've read today, we read that you are, uh, since you are no longer under law, but under grace. Now I want to make clear this morning that no longer under law does not mean we're now free to be lawless. As in, anything goes. We've already looked earlier on in this series at the picture painted in Romans 1 of of lawlessness and unrighteousness and sin and what happens when people go their own way. So in response to that, he begins verse 15 with this question, anticipating the argument, and it's similar to the one posed in verse 1. And in many ways, it's flowing on to that which he's already kind of laid out. But he says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? In other words, if Christians are no longer under law but under grace, then why not sin freely? Why not live as we please? Isn't that what grace and freedom looks like? Isn't that what it looks like? Doing what we want, living as we please, or to put it in the Aussie vernacular, that no worries, she'll be right, mate, kind of life. Because there's this glorious gift called grace just awaiting for us there to kind of pick up 
the mess. But there is another emphatic no. He says, by no means, by no means. This is not a picture of what grace is all about. And in fact, we haven't really grasped this gift of grace if that is our response to it. I love what it says in Titus chapter 2. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. This gift, this bringing us from death to life, bringing us from darkness to light. Amazing. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this gift of grace. But it doesn't just stop there. It goes on to say that this grace of God that has appeared, it, it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and it helps us to live a self-controlled, upright life in the present age. In other words, his grace enables and empowers us to resist sin, not be there as a license to sin, our get-out-of-jail-free card that we kind of keep tucked in our back pocket. You know, the Monopoly game? I was playing with someone recently who thought that it was just something you just had on you. That I'm pretty sure it's a one-time use only, isn't it, in the game? Someone had it just kind of there, and no, no, it's just a one-time use. And sometimes maybe we can treat grace like a, well, we've always got that in our back pocket, I'm a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's not a picture of grace. It actually enables and empowers us to resist sin, to pursue righteousness, to not just be mastered by all those other things that are seeking to master us. So Paul is presenting two pictures here as he continues to unpack this argument around law and grace and sin and where everything kind of fits in there. And really, he's he's exhorting his readers towards one way or one picture that is actually going to lead us to life. But the first thing I want us to notice this morning or take away this morning as we spot the difference that grace makes is this. It's this question, who will you serve or who will you yield to? That's at the heart of this issue around around sin and righteousness, around freedom or using grace as license or what grace is actually all about. Who will we serve? Who will we yield to? And Paul was deeply concerned with God's people not being enslaved by sin. He writes elsewhere in Galatians chapter 5, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not go back again into slavery, into the bondage and slavery of sin. And so he takes a step back. He presents this argument using an illustration of slavery, which is an interesting one. I want to unpack it a little bit this morning, so bear with me. But as we read this passage, we can, it, it's clear in what Paul writes that there is no middle ground. The language he uses implies that everyone is a slave to something. Everyone has a master. The question is not, are you a slave, but to whom are you enslaved? Or we could put it this way, who is your master? Who are you serving? For us, as followers of Jesus, this place called grace, the difference that it makes in our lives, actually leads us to having a new master. It actually leads us to to a place of yielding to a, a new lordship coming under the reign and rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. In in chapter 7, verse 4, it says, So that you may belong to another, to him, to Christ. And submitting to his lordship, to this lordship, actually leads us 
to a new freedom, which leads us to a new way of life. It's like Paul saying, this is really important. It's not living however you want. The difference that grace makes means there is a new master. There is a new one that we yield to, that we come under and we serve in our lives. So in verse 16, the language that he, he presents here, the language of presenting yourself, this idea involves yielding. It involves giving ourselves over as an intentional, continual thing. In fact, the Greek word, one of the meanings is to yield and to stand ready for service, to present yourself, you know, ready for service. And in, of course, in Romans 12, we read that we're, we're called to present ourselves to God, to present ourselves, every part of us to God. And as we do that, as that, that process of yielding to him, of surrendering to him, of presenting ourselves to him, we will find more and more that he will be the one that has first claim and final say in our lives. It's not just uh, not my will, not your will, but mine. It's not that anymore. But it's not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Paul writes, don't you know? Verse 16, don't you know? You should know this, guys. If you present yourself as a slave to sin, if you yield and give yourself over and surrender to that sinful nature, then we will find that that is what masters us, that that is what will have us in our possession, that that will ultimately lead us down a path of death, not to a path of true freedom, as many believe, um, giving ourselves over, living how we want leads to. It's like the prodigal son. We all know that story. He didn't want to kind of live yielded to his father's house, did he? He kind of wanted his own way. He wanted to just be free. He wanted to, to do his own thing. He says, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance. I'm going for it. I just want to do what I want to do. Pursued reckless living. And interestingly, that path where did he end up? He actually ended up in a place of slavery, spiritually and literally, as feeding the pigs. And it was only when he yielded to his father, when he came to his senses and said, oh, I've got to get back, I'll just be like one of the servants. When he came back and yielded to his father, that's when he came to a place of life and restoration. And so I want to delve a little bit deeper to try and get to the heart of what Paul is saying, what he's trying to illustrate. And he uses this word slave, slave to sin, and perhaps that terminology we could go, yeah, I can see what he's saying there, yeah, slave to sin, sin is something that keeps us bound and all that, but slave to righteousness, slave to God, what, what is he talking about there? Wouldn't it be better to maybe say, well, now you're actually servants of God, but no, he uses this term slave. Let's think for a moment about the difference between servants and slaves. A servant gives a certain agreed part of their time to their master, will most often receive a wage or recompense for doing so. And within the time, they're within the service and the disposal of their master. But when that time ends, when they clock off, they can do exactly what they want. Their time is their own. For a slave, and Paul is using this image as something that would have been very familiar to his Roman readers, 
And of course, I don't want to belittle or gloss over in any way the horrors of of slavery over, over the course of history. But he's using this particular image as something that would have been familiar as an illustration to his readers. And what he's saying is for the slave in Paul's time, every single moment of his time belonged to the master. He was the absolute exclusive possession of his master. And there was not one moment of his life where he could do what he liked. It was impossible for the slave to serve two masters because he was the exclusive possession of one. So for us and for our context today, this is the picture for the follower of Jesus. The spot, the difference, if you like. We can have no master but God. No Lord but Jesus. It doesn't work to give a bit of our lives to God and keep a little bit of our lives for ourselves and for our own sinful indulgence. Grace costs too much for that. A number of years ago, my wife and I, we travelled across to to Europe. My wife, uh, her father, my father-in-law, is is Dutch. He's from the Netherlands. And so we travelled over to visit some family. And uh, precious auntie and uncle of Steph's live right over on the east side of, of the Netherlands. Uh, a little beautiful little village called Dinkspelo, and it's kind of right on the border of Holland and Germany. And so we went for a ride and, and plenty of walks because it was literally that close. And it's something that living in Australia we don't really have. You drive for like 10 hours and you're not even out of the state kind of thing. And so we went there, we went for this ride, and there's signs saying, you know, this is the border. And so we've got pictures of us, you know, one foot in Germany and one foot in the Netherlands. Or when we kind of drove down to Belgium, it was the same. We kind of had one foot in each camp. And that was kind of a cool thing to do. But this picture that Paul is writing, he's saying, no, you're actually a slave to God, to righteousness. Now, it doesn't work to have a foot in each camp. That actually, as we follow Jesus, there was a, a new way, a, a new master in our lives. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, that no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he would be devoted to one and despise the other. The question is for us when it comes to sin and righteousness, which master will we love? And which one will we hate? Which one will be, de- will be devoted to? Or which one will we, will we despise? And, you know, we say, oh, of course I love God. But often our actions, our focus, what we give ourselves to reveals what we love or what we don't. Like, if I was placed in a room with a dog and a cat before me, what I would do or which one I would be drawn to would reveal that which I love and that which I don't. I'm not going to say any more than that. Please don't judge me. It's the same in our lives of faith, that what we give ourselves to, what we're drawn to, how we live, actually reveals something about what is mastering us. 
Just as the illustration that he gives, as the slave is bound to serve whatever master they're serving, so this place called grace demands a response from us. As we've sung already, love so amazing, so divine, demands. And it's not something that's burdensome. It's not something that's stifling. It's not something that's forced upon us through fear or coercion, this external kind of thing. That's, that's kind of what law looks like. Instead, being a slave of God under his lordship, living according to his way, it's this, this willing expression of love and gratitude to Christ. It's obedience from our heart, as it says in verse 17. We'll look at that just in a moment. If we can grab hold of this, it will move us and keep us from a place of living as a slave to sin. Because we see the beauty and the gift that grace truly is. We will see the price that Jesus paid for us. What else could we do in response but present ourselves to him? And you know, it will also move us and keep us from a place of earning, trying to earn, trying to jump through hoops, trying to... That's what law looks like. Place from a place of earning to a place of responding, which is this place of grace. We'll look at that just in a moment. The two pictures that Paul paints and puts before us require a choice. He says, don't you know, if you present yourselves slaves to sin, it will lead to this. So now, present yourselves as slaves to righteousness, because it will lead to life. It will lead to this. Because of grace, the way has opened up for us to live with a new master. Which will we choose? The second thing I want us to notice, as Paul refutes the argument around living however we please, and as we spot the difference that grace makes, it's more than just, just having a new master, although that is vitally important that we grasp that. It's because these two pictures both lead to fruit. And so the question for us is, what fruit do we want our lives to bear? Chapter 7, verse 4 states that the end goal or aim of living in this place called grace, of living as slaves to righteousness, in possession of our Jesus, our Lord and Master, is that we bear fruit for God. And in John 15, Jesus says that he chose us and appointed us to bear fruit and that fruit will last. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? If we want to bear fruit, good fruit, there is a way for us to follow. And Paul makes that very clear in the passage this morning, where the two options will lead to. The fruit, if you like, that will come forth, presenting ourselves as slaves to sin, will lead to death. The lawlessness on lawlessness, like a vicious cycle. And he says, but what fruit were you getting at that time from those things of which you are now ashamed? Sin is a terrible master, it's a liar, it's a deceiver. It's like he's saying, what fruit were you getting? The, the fleeting pleasures of sin for a moment? What, where's that going to lead you? Where's that going to cause you to end up? It might seem good from afar, but it's far from good. On the other hand, presenting ourselves as slaves to righteousness, being in possession of our master, Jesus Christ, where he puts, as he puts it in verse 22, we've become slaves of God. 
where the Lord has his proper and rightful place, where we walk through the power of the Spirit in obedience to his commands, that will lead us to a place of sanctification, which will ultimately lead us to a place of life. This word sanctification, it's a, it's a process word. It's a Greek word, hagiasmos, and all Greek nouns that end in asmos describe not a completed state, but a, but a process, an ongoing thing. And so this, this word sanctification, as we, as we yield, present ourselves to the Lord and seek after righteousness and all those things, it's this process of being made holy, of the rough edges being smoothed away, of becoming more like Jesus. And I want to suggest that that is good news for us this morning. I want to encourage us in this place today to not give up. To not give up. Maybe you're not seeing the progress that you'd like. Maybe as you're kind of spotting the difference between the old life and the new, or maybe where you were a year or two ago and now, and it's like, oh, I've got to look really hard to spot the difference. I want to encourage you this morning, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Maybe you feel like it's one step forward and like two back. It's like, oh, I'm in this place again. Maybe there's temptation that feels and seems overwhelming right now. Maybe there is discouragement causing you to wonder if this whole following Jesus thing is really worth it after all. I want to encourage us this morning. Continue to present yourself to the Lord. Continue to present your body as a slave to righteousness. Lord, here I am. Here I am. I surrender. Would you... Come and take your rightful place, Lord. Continue to do your work in me, this process of sanctification. Lord, I, I need those rough edges smoothed away. I need your help, Lord God. Don't give up or give in to the old way, as Paul writes in Galatians 5. It's for freedom he set us free. Don't go back again to the old way. Can I maybe get Ali and Ali to come up? That'd be great. The final thing that I want us to notice this morning, there's been a lot to unpack about Paul's argument here, about just living however we want, because we're not under law, is that there's a new way. And he uses this marriage illustration, which time doesn't permit us to really kind of delve into too deeply. But he uses it, you know, the marriage illustration, the marriage covenant, it's a, it's a covenant relationship. It's till death do us part. It's a serious thing. It's a lifelong commitment. And he says here that, you know, there's a, a legal covenant in place uh, as long as... Both parties are married and alive, but when one party dies, the other is free to remarry. The law was, what he's saying is the law was like a husband to whom one was tied by a set of rules or laws that had to be kept if there was any sort of relationship. But when Christ died, he fulfilled all the obligations that this legal code imposed upon us. And because we have died with him, our relationship to that old set of laws as a means of right standing with God also ended because we are now bound to Christ. There's a new way. So can you spot the difference? In verse 6 of chapter 7, 
now we don't obey or seek to walk in righteousness because we have to. Because there's all these external things and boxes to tick and hoops to jump through. We don't live in a place of earning, but we live in a place of responding to his great grace. That is walking in his ways, seeking righteousness. It's a, it's a willing, it's a loving response to him. It's not an external imposed obedience, but an inner allegiance of our hearts to King Jesus. So, because of grace, I pray that we can spot the difference, that others can spot the difference in our lives. The difference that grace makes is not that we live however we please. We're not called to be slaves to sin. By no means, Paul says. The difference is that we have a new master and that we present ourselves to him as slaves of righteousness. That we yield to him. The difference is that we bear fruit that continues to lead to sanctification. Continues to allow his ongoing work process, if you like, to be outworked in our lives so that we become more and more like Jesus. The difference is that we are bound to Christ, and that means a new freedom for us. I'll finish with this, and then maybe one more thing. In Corinthians... uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. We've been looking at this at youth actually this year. Paul writes, you are not your own. You are not your own. You know, that's, that's a kind of a, that was a countercultural message for him, in his context back writing to the Corinthian church where kind of, Anything went. (laughs) You are not your own. That goes against the grain of kind of what the world says. That, hey, freedom, do whatever you want. You are not your own. And then he goes on and he gives the why. For you were bought with a price. For you were bought with a price was no small thing that Jesus did for you and for me when he went to the cross, when he bore our sin and our shame, when he took it upon himself. You were bought with a price, bought with the precious blood of Jesus, purchased and redeemed. Therefore, Paul writes, Glorify God with your bodies, with how we live. Would you stand this morning?
So what I felt on my heart just to, to kind of finish with this morning, that the team's just going to lead us in a song or a chorus. And uh, I've realized of late that I've been talking about sin more than more than perhaps usually looking at that earlier in the year at the youth camp you know one of the messages was wake up to the seriousness of sin not just to bring condemnation or anything like that but so that we would wake up to see all that Christ has done and as I said we've been looking at that this term is our theme you're not your own it's, it's not just anything goes but there's actually a call to yield ourselves, to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus because we're bought with a price. And even this morning, kind of focusing on this aspect of slave to sin or slave to righteousness. I've uh, kind of like a, a missing piece of the puzzle. I feel like I've seen like the Lord's been sort of speaking or putting on my heart the reason why this I'd much rather talk about hope or life or joy. And, and of course, that comes from how he has dealt with our sin. But uh, it's definitely an important thing to talk about because in our world today, it's not something that is spoken of. In fact, it's probably called something different or it's celebrated or uh, paraded around. But just just uh, recently, it was down the coast, a place that we staying. There's this beautiful lake nearby and it's this um, channel, an inlet into the ocean. And it's usually just beautiful and pristine and blue. And last year when I was there with my family, my wider family, uh, there was so much rain that there was all this runoff from the surrounding mountains and it had all made its way into the, the lake and the channel leading out to the ocean and the, the color of the water it was just like churned up and brown there was logs there was debris there was all sorts of stuff there and I feel like the Lord's been reminding me of that just this week and that you know when when the Lord is at work when there's the, the downpour if you like when his spirit is, is being poured out and what he wants to do I believe and what he is doing that often there are some things that maybe get stirred up or churned up. Maybe stuff in our hearts and lives that, that he's wanting to kind of bring to the surface. Not because he's wanting to bring condemnation. Not because he's wanting to kind of embarrass us or anything like that. But because he's so good and merciful and gracious that he actually wants to deal with that stuff. And, you know, it's sin has been perfectly tried to kind of portray this morning. Sin is a, a serious issue. It, it, it separates, it, it, it keeps us from the Lord, but it needs to be dealt with, in other words. The good news is that it has been dealt with at the cross of Christ. Jesus paid the highest price. But there's also, I believe, this call, as it says in Matthew 3 and John the Baptist says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This ongoing hard attitude, if you like, of bringing that stuff before the Lord. In 
inviting him to come. And so maybe it's no coincidence that there's been a bit more of an emphasis, certainly for me personally, maybe in church as well, the last few weeks around around sin and, and, and that being a part of our lives that we need to kind of deal with. And so as the team leads us just in a simple song, in a simple chorus, very simple, oh, come to the altar is the song. And um, I just feel like there's an invitation this morning and the prayer team will be up as well. But, but what I sense is just where there is stuff maybe that you feel like the Lord is stirring or bringing to the surface that's like, oh, feels a bit uncomfortable. Maybe that debris or that, you know, churned up waters as I, as I saw at the beach last year where you feel like there's this stuff that's coming to the surface or that the Lord, you feel like the Lord's putting his finger on. That's the word. I just want to open up the altar, invite you to, to respond simply, humbly before the Lord just to come and invite him to come, invite him to, to bring breakthrough, invite him to bring his cleansing, all those things um, that I believe he wants to do in this place today. Does that sound okay? All right, let me pray and then the team will lead us in. Father, I just thank you for this precious time together this morning. I thank you for the difference that grace has made to us, Lord. We're so thankful for the cross, for your precious gift, Lord God. It's by grace that we're saved. And I pray, Lord, that to continue to yield to you, surrender our lives afresh even this morning, continue to present ourselves before you, God. Lord, uh, others would be able to spot the difference. Not to put us on any pedestal at all, but actually there'll be something that draws people towards you, Lord Jesus, because of your great grace, because of your great work in our hearts and lives, Lord. But I do pray this morning, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, you would be at work in our hearts and our lives, Lord, that we would... Continually, Lord, just say, Lord, I present myself to you, God. I want to seek after and pursue righteousness. I want you to be the master and Lord, the one in whose possession I am. I pray, Lord, that the kind of fruit that we bear in our lives would be good fruit and would bring glory to your name, Lord. I pray that we would realize the significance of all that you have done so that we are now bound to you, Jesus. It's not about earning, but it's about responding to who you are, Lord. And I pray this morning as well, just your grace to be poured out upon the altar here, Lord God, that where there are things, stuff that maybe have been stirred up recently, maybe it's the sin of pride, maybe it's lust, maybe it's uh, dishonesty, maybe it's just, I don't know, it's probably a plethora of things I could suggest, I could confess, I could whatever it is. You know it's between you and the Lord. Lord. I just pray this morning there would be grace to just come and bring those things before you. And that as we come to the altar, we would leave changed, Lord God. So I bless each person here this morning with your grace, with your goodness, 
with a fresh passion and desire to seek after and pursue righteousness, Lord God. Lord, let that grace and that hope and that joy and that peace that comes from you, let that spill out from us and be seen as we go from here this morning. Pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what we're going to do, the altar is open. Just a simple, humble invitation to come and, and do business with the Lord this morning. But I'd invite the prayer team also to come forward and to stand to the side there. If you would like prayer for anything in particular, whether it's related to that, that call to just come forward and have someone stand with you, perhaps, or anything else in particular, uh, you're welcome to come and, and receive prayer this morning. But, but don't, don't just kind of, oh, that's good, the message is over. If there are things that the Lord is stirring in your heart, don't miss the opportunity to come forward and, and just um, get right with the Lord. God bless you this week. Pray that you would know the grace and the goodness of the Lord.